1: Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is State planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio, broadcasting from my office here in San Jose, California. I think um, before I really get launched into the show today, I need to address the elephant that's in the room. This past week, we saw what can only be described as a despicable set of circumstances happening in our capital. To me, um, I condemned it roundly. I condemn it roundly. There is no call for that kind of behavior. I'm hopeful that those who were the perpetrators will be identified, will be charged, and will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. I caution, however, not to take the actions of a few who got out of hand and attribute them to the vast majority who did not. One of the problems I think we have in our country right now is that everything is too binary. By that I mean that everybody's all on one side or the other side, the left wing or the right wing. There's very few people that are anywhere near the center right now, or at least if they are, they're not very vocal about it. I happen to be a conservative. I'm admitting that on the air. It should not cause me to be canceled because this is my own show. I voted for our current president uh, when he wasn't my first choice, but I supported him. I supported many of the things that he did while he was in office. There were other things he did and said that I did not agree with at all and regularly raised that with my friends. Um... I have found that you don't have to agree completely with someone to still be supportive of them. At this point in time, I would hope that everyone would look and say it's time for everyone in this country to stop taking sides, stop being extreme, stop attacking the other side, stop calling each other names. Uh, I myself, for example, have been called over the last few years, I've been called a Nazi, a misogynist, a racist, and just about any other kind of ad hominem attack you could possibly imagine. Those people who know me, even those people who've known me for many years, who are on the other side of the political aisle, they know those things not to be true. Unfortunately, they have friends that don't know me who seem to have no problem calling me those things. I'm calling everybody out right now. It's time for us to come together as a country, to stop calling each other names, to start listening to each other, to try to find common ground. I think the likelihood is that the vast majority of you listening out there probably have a lot more in common with each other than you realize, but you're not talking with each other about it. You're not finding the common ground so that we can move forward as a country. I'm very, very sad today because of the state of our country. I'm sad because of the violence that took place in the Capitol. I'm sad because of the violence that took place for several months and is still taking place in other parts of the country. It needs to stop. This crap needs to stop. Those of us who are law-abiding citizens, who work hard, who are trying to make the best for our family, for our friends, and for our communities, we need to join together. And we need to speak out as one voice and tell the extremists on both sides to knock it off, to stop. We need them to go back into the holes they crawled out of. And yes, I said that, the holes that they crawled out of. We as a nation need to push back against those people that would tear us apart. And I'll tell you what, there's plenty of politicians on both sides of the aisle that have done that, including very prominent politicians And there's plenty of rank and file that have done the same thing. We need to stop that now. We need to come together as a country and just stop this nonsense now. Otherwise, we're going to destroy our country and this country's enemies, which are many and varied, are just eager for this country to fail. Because if the United States fails, I firmly believe The world is lost. So there, I'll get off my soapbox now. Next thing I want to address on the show today is Proposition 19. I've extended uh, an invitation on my show to people to contact me and provide me with certain information so I can determine whether or not um, it's appropriate to refer them on to a colleague of mine here in San Jose who um, has been assisting people with Proposition 19 planning. I'm sorry to say that that offer is now ended. My colleague has reached the absolute limit of people that he can meet with and accommodate in in the time, the minimal time that's left, to actually comply with the deadline put in place by the proposition, unless the deadline is extended by the legislature. Here in California, Proposition 19 will take full effect in reference to transfers from parents to children um, on February 16th, actually February 16th of this year. And after that date, unless the law changes back, it will be too late to do anything about it. So I'm not able to assist anybody at this time. My colleague has reached the limit of who he can assist at this time. My law practice is too busy to take on this additional task uh, because I basically work as a solo or sole practitioner. I don't have any other staff but myself, and there are literally not enough hours in the day, days in the week, uh, for me to help everybody that might need my help right now. So the offer to deal with Proposition 19 is off. It's no longer on the table. However, if you want to get educated about it, uh, go to kdow.biz, look up my podcasts for Plan Your Estate Radio for December 4th and for Christmas say December 25th, and you can listen to those and learn about Prop 19, what it means, and what some of the issues are. I'm not going to talk about the type of planning that could be done for Prop 19 because It's really beyond what I do. That's what my colleague was for. So for the balance of the show today, I'm going to go back to my usual format, which is to cover cover questions and comments from around the state of California, uh, reading situations that people are in, and then giving my opinion and feedback in the hope that it will cause uh, others out there to become better educated about just what some of the issues are in estate planning. As I've said many times on my show, estate planning is a discipline, it is a specialty in the law, and because it's a specialty in the law, it's very, very important that people understand that um, it's not something that should be done lightly or casually, it's something where people need to take it seriously. Now, if I could get my music to come back in, I'm going to wrap up this segment. And um, I do want to uh, encourage you to stay after the break. I'm going to cover more questions and comments from around the state of California. But until then, I'll see you on the other side of the break. This is Attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio.
0: Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman.
1: Well, welcome back. Uh, If you're just joining the show, you missed an exciting first segment where I went off on everybody. (laughs) Um, But I will say that what I said in the first segment of the show is heartfelt. I really do feel that way. And, and hopefully many of you out there agree with me, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, you agree with me and you agree that we have to start working together as a country and stop and talk to, and I'll add, the people that you know that are extreme, talk to them, even if they're your friends, talk to them, try to talk them down off the ledge, because it's not helping. It's just not helping. It's not helping the country at all. Okay, moving on with estate planning. Um, I'm going to go through some questions and comments that I have in front of me here and and, uh, hopefully give you some information that may be valuable to you or to someone you know. Even if it's not happening right now, it may be something that comes up in the future. And then you go, I heard something about that from that attorney in San Jose. So here is someone asking um, that it says, I'm named the first successor of a trust. What does that mean? It says my dad had a trust. When he passed, my older sister was in charge of it, but then when she passed, it named me as the successor after her. As the successor, does this mean I have to sell everything, including the family home that's part of the trust? Or can I take over responsibility to take care of the home and everything in the trust? Um, Well, first of all, it sounds like if the father's deceased, this trust became irrevocable at his death. And unless the trust specifically permits it to continue on as an irrevocable trust, because its terms provide for that, um, there's really no legal... um, no legal ability to continue on with the trust um, after the original owner has died unless the trust specifically is an irrevocable trust and says to do that, such as a trust that would pass property in trust for a child, for the child's lifetime, for example. So um, as the trustee, you're charged with doing whatever the trust says is supposed to be done. If the trust says, after my death, divide things up between um, these people and distribute it to them, then that's what you're supposed to do as the trustee. And uh, the bottom line is a lot of people uh, will not actually follow through and do what they're supposed to do after the owner of a trust dies. Uh, I see this happen a lot. People kind of take the position that they don't need to do that. Um, They just say, well, we can just leave property in the trust or leave a house in the trust and continue on our merry way. It doesn't really work that way. And it can cause significant problems in the future when a family tries to deal with the property in the future. So um, I I suggest that uh, when people are taking over as a trustee if they don't have legal representation someone that they can consult with that they really consider doing that now i'm not really doing that anymore except for my existing clients but there are many attorneys out there that can assist with administration of a trust after someone has passed away and so for this person i would suggest that they consult with an attorney to get specific advice on what their legal obligations are under the trust, because that's really all that is important in the final analysis. Okay. Uh, let's see. Okay, my mother has a revocable living trust written in 1988. Uh, I have a question about old bank accounts that were listed. Okay, the uh, 88, 1988 trust uh, lists the house and all accounts to be within the trust. There's many old bank accounts that are listed which have been closed and replaced. Do we have to have a detailed list of all the current assets to be included in the trust before her passing? Well, the short answer is... There should always be a current list of assets owned by a trust or intended to be owned by a trust so that whoever is taking over as the trustee actually has um, the ability to quickly determine what assets there are so that they can start handling them. But just listing assets in a schedule of assets of a trust is not sufficient to transfer the ownership of those assets into the trust ownership. A lot of people have the mistaken belief that if they just list something on a piece of paper and say, This bank account is in my trust, that it is automatically owned by the trust. That is not true. For any asset to be owned by a trust, it has to be retitled into the name of the trust, like if you have a house, the title has to change to you as trustee of the trust. If you have a bank account or a brokerage account, you have to change the ownership of that account to the ownership of your trust. At the very least, you would need to designate on an account like that or a brokerage account or a banking account that the pay-on-death beneficiary is your trust but even doing that is not necessarily the best solution Um, I've always believed that retitling assets into the trust is the best and most complete solution for making sure that assets are actually in your trust because if you leave them outside you could end up having to come back ...to someone like me later on to go to court to get them put into the trust after death. That's either going to be through a probate process or it's going to be through a Hegstat petition... ...which I've talked about many times on the show. I do a lot of those. uh, And those are court petitions to get assets that were outside of a trust turned over to a trust... ...using, for example, a schedule of assets of the trust as proof of intention maybe using a special type of will called a pour-over will um to also um be used to get assets into a trust without having to go through the entire uh the entire trust process or excuse me the entire probate process so um it's always good though to have a current list of trust assets because it makes it very very clear that uh someone uh did intend certain assets to be in their trust Well, we're coming up on the, uh, the bottom of the hour uh, in about 45 seconds or so I want to urge you to stay afterwards and uh, come back as we cover more of uh, Plan Your State Radio I'm going to c- cover more questions and comments from around the state of California and then wrap things up when we get back so this is Attorney Bob Bergman And uh, I'll be talking with you after the break. See you on the other side on Plan Your Estate Radio.
0: Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning, trust, and probate law specialist, Attorney Bob Bergman.
1: Hi, welcome back. Well, I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Um in the uh and I'm going to finish out the show today with the same thing <clears throat> okay, here's a question out of Long Beach, California, and just give me a quick chance to peruse it here to make sure that i uh I understand exactly what is being asked here. okay, here we go okay um. Person says um, they have a notarized trust document and they wanted to determine whether or not um, uh, actually interpret what does it mean. Um, It says in the trust document all of the trustor's estate and interest in real properties and improvements thereto at the time of the trustor's death shall be distributed to the trustor's children. Joe and Bill equally to share alike as their sole and separate property? And the question is, does that mean that the property is to be divided in half between the two brothers? Uh, the answer is yes. Share alike is uh, basically an, an older style of legal term that means uh, share equally or in equal shares. So equally to share alike would be to share uh, equally or in equal shares. So that means if there's two people, like the two brothers here, that means that they each get to share um, in the property. So they each get one half of the property or one half interest in the property, however it happens to play out. So here's another one. can MediCal take my house and sell it for payment if I'm in a nursing home and I pass away? Now, I'll start first by saying I do not do Medi-Cal planning. Um, I'm not an elder law attorney. Uh, my colleague that has been assisting uh, with Prop 19 planning is an elder law attorney, and it's a specialty of his. Um, but I can tell you that In this case, the person said they have a living trust for their estate to go to a beneficiary. Uh, Wondering if I was ever put in a nursing home and I was permanently there and I pass away, is Medi-Cal allowed to get payments back through my house? Okay. Well, because of a change in the law that took place, um, I think it's three years ago now, I'd have to go back and look at my notes, but um, any property... Um, Any property that is in a living trust is not subject to, and this is a residence, is not subject to recovery by the state of California for any money spent for you to a nursing home for Medi-Cal. If you qualify for Medi-Cal and you have a personal residence, under the current law, you can put it into a trust of any kind, including a revocable living trust and have it not be available for recovery after your death, which means that the house can pass on to family or friends that you wish it to go to. This law was actually put into effect by the legislature, primarily because there were many families where where a child or children were living with a parent, or maybe even multiple generations living in the same home, and it was essentially the family home. But um, but the owner of the home ended up going into a nursing home and ran up a bill with Medi-Cal to pay for that nursing home. And even though they were eligible for Medi-Cal, even though owning a residence, because the residence did not count as an available asset to the person, after death, the state was handing a bill to the family Um, for the nursing home costs, for the Medi-Cal payments, what I call the bar tab, and now demanding to be paid. And if the only thing there to be paid from was the family home, it would have to be sold to pay the government. And the result of that was regularly that um, families were losing the family home because they couldn't afford to pay the bill other than by paying the home. They couldn't afford to take out a loan on it uh, to pay off the state and then pay back the loan. And the result was that maybe um, multiple family members ended up without a home or homeless, um, relying on going and renting somewhere. Maybe they could could not afford to stay in the area where their job was, where their where all of their family connections were, where their children were going to school, all those kinds of things. So that's why that law was put into effect. Now, I will tell you, um, you have to be able to qualify for Medi-Cal. And that means that you can have a residence, but it has to be, um, it it will not count, but you should put it in a trust. But other assets you have, rental properties, um, things like that, you know, money in the bank, investments, those typically have to be spent down Uh, spent down to a very low amount, like a couple thousand dollars worth of value before you can actually then qualify for Medi-Cal. But for somebody who pretty much just has their home and nothing else, just putting their home into a living trust can avoid Medi-Cal recovery. That means even a living trust that you you fill out forms from a book at Barnes and Noble, you you go to one of those online places and, and get a fast down and dirty trust and do the deed and transfer the property into the trust, that's going to solve that problem for that family. It's not necessarily going to be good estate planning, but it is going to be um, successful Medi-Cal planning for that family residence. Okay. Alright, here we go. Hmm. Okay. Does a living trust terminate joint tenancy? A, B, and C, it sounds like a <laughs> sounds like a, a law law school test or a bar test uh, question. A, B, and C own a property as joint tenants. C transferred his interest to a living trust. Does the transfer terminate the whole joint tenancy, or are both A and B still joint tenants? And is it only C's share that becomes a tenancy in common? Well, a tenancy, let me start first. A tenancy in common is where two or more people together own property. It could be equal shares, it could be unequal shares but they all own it in common, which means each person's individual share in that property is owned separately from and is handled separately from everybody else's share in that property. A joint tenancy property, however, has to have certain things in order to be effective as a joint tenancy. It has to be created all at the same time. The parties have to have equal interests, um, um, they have to have equal interest in the property, uh, and when one joint tenant dies, their share goes to the other joint tenants by operation of law. And then, when the when the if there's three, if the next joint tenant dies, and everything goes to the survivor of the three of them by operation of law. Here, though, we have what's called severing the joint tenancy meaning that C, by transferring his share to a living trust, cut the joint tenancy. And basically, there is no joint tenancy anymore. That's my understanding of the law. And it means that A and B are not still joint tenants with each other. Uh, They are now all three tenants in common, with A and B being tenants in common, with C's trust. So if someone plans on terminating a joint tenancy by transferring their interest, they really should talk with everybody. If they're doing it for estate planning purposes, everybody should be considering doing that for estate planning purposes because you don't want to end up dying and having a real estate interest that's valued too much um, have to go through the probate process. Um, Living trusts are outstanding for avoiding the probate process and it really is something that people should consider as part of their planning, um, because um, the bottom line is you do not want to go through the probate process here in um, here in um, in California. It's the worst, uh, the worst right now. Um, this next question I'm looking at looks like a Prop 19 question. I'm not going to address Proposition 19 today. So I will go um, to the next question. Okay. Um, My husband suddenly passed away. I'm his next of kin. I'm a resident of California, but not a citizen yet. I would uh, ask the question, you're not a citizen. Are you a permanent resident or are you here on a visa? Um, But still, in reference to the question, is it possible for me to become the administrator of his low value estate this isn't about his estate that has value but to obtain legal rights to certain documentation as to his medical records state records and original county certificates due to be to the hipaa laws which is the medical privacy laws even being next of kin i can't get any records without being administrator I also need to get his original uh, death certificates for the IRS and Social Security benefits. Is this possible for me to file, or is it only possible with an attorney? Well, say, first of all, it does sound like you do need to file a a petition of some kind. If it's a low-value estate, well, we'll continue this after the break.
0: This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW.
1: Hi, welcome back. Before the break, uh, which uh, I have to apologize for that, I I missed my cue from my engineer. I apologize for that. But let me finish up the thought from uh, where I was going uh, before the break. Um, before the break, I was talking about someone wanting to know if Uh, She could be the administrator of her husband's low-value estate so that she could have the authority to get records um, because of um, the the health insurance portability, um, uh, the health insurance, uh, well, the medical privacy laws. I'm sorry. It's uh, been a very long week, a little bit on the tired side, but let's see if I can rein it back in. And... um, she can go to court. She can file. She might be able to file a petition for, for letters of special administrator, uh, just for the sole purpose of getting, uh, getting access to the medical records and things that she needs without having a full-blown probate of her husband's estate. If his estate value is less than one hundred and sixty-six thousand two hundred fifty dollars, which would be a low estate. Um, probate is not really necessary, but that doesn't mean that you cannot go to the probate court and request assistance in order to get the ability to get other things done. So it's not something probably that can be done without the assistance of an attorney. It's something that would probably be done for a, I would say likely for a fixed fee of some kind Rather than the statutory fees, because the statutory fees are quite low, um, if it's a very small estate, and many attorneys would not be willing to take on a task like that. Okay, uh, my mother died. Okay, uh, my mom has advanced had advanced Alzheimer's. I quit working when my father died and moved in with my mom as her caregiver. Now my mom has died without a will, and I'm living in her home in which she still has a mortgage payment. What do I do now? Well, the first thing is there's no will, which means that if you are the sole heir, you're going to need to go through the probate process of the state of California in order to have that house turned over to you so that you now own it. Um, I guess you could say the good news is Um, the house is not subject to Proposition 19 because, according to this, mother already passed away back in December of 2020. But if it has a mortgage payment, the issue becomes, um, can you continue with the house with the mortgage? Can you take over and start paying the mortgage? Can you assume the mortgage? Are you in a position to refinance that mortgage And this is a good time for that, by the way. Uh, Rates are about the lowest they've ever been that I think I've ever seen in my lifetime. But um, it starts with commencing a probate. And the sooner that's done, the sooner that you can actually um, do things like refinance the property. uh, And a probate's probably going to take at least nine months to a year um, obviously, if you're the only heir, nobody's going to try to kick you out of the house uh but the lender might very well want to want to call the loan. But as a practical matter, if the mortgage interest rate on the loan is two or three per cent higher than the current rates, they're not going to call the loan because they don't want to take they don't want to get paid off and then have to turn around and loan the money out at a lower interest rate. So it all starts, however, with doing a probate. And and that's gonna be the first thing that this person has to consider is actually starting the probate process. Uh, Because without the probate process, you never really own the property and you can't really do anything with the property. If you wanted to sell the property, you would find out that you can't because it's still in your mother's name. Okay, here's something. Uh, Someone said, a family friend who I lived with as a child has asked to put me in their trust but has asked for my birthday and social security number. They reside in California. I'm just curious as if I should give them this information. That's a real hard question to answer because I would wanna know why your friend needs your social security number um, for their estate plan. I could understand your name and your birthday and maybe your contact information so that it's clear that you are the person that's being referred to since it sounds like you're not an actual relative. But social security number, I'd be very hesitant to provide that to anybody that didn't have an absolute need for it. I'm not sure that uh, just being put into the, the trust uh, as a beneficiary, is sufficient need. Okay. Um, we're down to one. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to wrap it up today. Um, I'll be back next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Q music. And uh, I hope you have uh, a good weekend. I hope things get calm here in the country. And, uh, and we can actually get, go forward with our lives and not have things be as crazy as they have been to this point. So let's hoping we have a good 2021. This is Attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, and I'll talk with you again next week.
0: You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman.